1: the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network.
2: Welcome into the A-List podcast. Gary Washburn, a Blakely. I am Kwani Lunas. We were actually just talking about the anniversary of my infamous picture with Michael B. Jordan. Also five years ago today, the Celtics were also playing the Sixers in the second round. And
0: yeah, the history repeating. You see that? Huh? You see how she quickly tried
2: to change stuff. Yeah, just had to put it put it out there because it's been made fun on this fun of on this podcast so often. You spoke back on that day, Confone.
0: You Uh spoke so bad. I mean That
2: was also the day I tried to convince Meek Mill to root for the Celtics and it did not work. Oh, All right, let's. I got the eye roll from Gary so early on. Let's talk about the Celtics. They even the series, what the second game they win at the TD Garden. At one point, people thought it was cursed because obviously the Celtics lost in the first game, but also the Bruins just got booted out of the playoffs as a result. But clearly, the curse is non existent. Ground with 25 points, Brogdon with 23 right off the bench. What did you two make of that game two performance? And also, I do want to mention the comments that Joe Missoula made at the end of his media availability. Would love to hear your thoughts because I disagreed with a lot of, as I usually say on this podcast, the Boston sports radio take on calling him sensitive because he basically was like, why didn't you question me about the in-game adjustments, which he was obviously criticized for in game one. Very long-winded question, but thoughts on everything right off
0: the bat you know the Celtics they played their game in game two and and that's what is going to happen throughout this series if they simply stick to doing what they do best uh I I thought there are a couple of things that jumped out in that game that really I thought made a big difference even though they seem very minor uh in the grand scheme of things they did not allow Phillies shooters to just shoot at will they were able to go over the screens and not under them and when you go under you give those shooters just enough space to get off relatively clean looks. They didn't do that. Uh, And the result was James Harden, who hit him for 45 in game one, was 0 for 6 from three-point range in game two. And, you know, the return of Joel Embiid, and we'll talk more about that, but the Celtics were able to neutralize all of the things that Philadelphia thought had did a really good job with in game one. And I think we're going to see more of that as this series progresses because I just don't think Philadelphia can – Adjust or adapt to the things that the Celtics did because the Celtics, all they simply did was play their game. The Celtics, if they're not going to win this series, it's not going to be so much because of what Philly does. It's going to be more so because of what they don't do in terms of execution. And I'm going to let Gary chime in with, with the Joe Mazzula stuff because I think he can, he can be a little bit sensitive at times, but to me, it's comical when I hear Joe Mazzula talk uh, post-game because it's like, you know, he's trying to, to just... You know, kind of. In, he's trying to make his presence felt. So he's trying to let you know what he's thinking, and I find it comical because the stuff that he's kind of, sort of, kind of being sensitive about are real issues. And it's like the fact that you've taken the time to tell us what we already know you're sensitive about. That's. Do we really need that coach? But anyway, Gary, you, you, you going? You got Gary.
1: Well, I mean, I thought they played a, a fine game. They pulled away in the third quarter. They hit a lot of shots. And remember, Jason Tatum had seven points, didn't hit a shot after the first quarter, was in foul trouble most of the night, and didn't play the fourth quarter. So now he got plenty of rest in that game. They can now take control and be the man in game three because I think they're going to need a great Tatum uh, to pull that game out with the atmosphere. It's going to be like in Philly on Friday night. Uh, But I just thought they played their game They were intense defensively. They got up and Philly missed some open shots. But also, I just think the Celtics played with a little bit more passion, a little bit more desire. And that's the thing. I think everybody, nobody questions the Celtics' talent, the ability to win the title, the ability to beat any team in the NBA. It's just the consistency level. And I think they realized they gave away game one. Like Philly should not have won that game. Regardless, it should not have come down to the last shot by Harden. Um, they botched the last three minutes, but they probably should have been ahead more points, and, uh, you know, but you give Philly's, you know, complimentary players, in addition to Harden, you know, open shots, easy looks, quick looks, you know, in terms of the Anthony Melton, uh, George Nang, um, obviously Tyrese Maxey, who, man, that dude's fast. I mean, I don't, I mean, if you don't know, if you ain't seen him in live and how fast he gets down the damn floor, I mean, that dude is super fast. Like one of the probably one of the fastest guy in the NBA. And there, you know, there's some, I'm sure it's a debate about that, but Tyrese gets down the floor fast. So I think the Celtics have now adjusted. Now it's up to Doc Rivers to adjust what he's going to do in game three. Obviously going to be at home um, and they're going to, Philly's going to play well and be thinking of his MVP award. You know, he's going to be more near hundred percent. He's going to be focused on dropping 50 again. But the question is, is Philly a different team with Embiid? Obviously, they are, but doesn't that play to the Celtics' advantage? Because I think they're used to playing against Embiid. They're used to defending him. Remember, in the playoffs, he's one and nine now against the Celtics in, the, in his last ten playoff games against Boston. So they know how to play him in the playoffs. They didn't know what the, what the hell to expect in Game One, and I think that kind of hurt them. You know, but Embiid, you know, he played. It wasn't like he played twelve minutes. He played twenty six minutes. And he would have played probably more minutes if the game had been more competitive in the fourth quarter. And so did Harden. So, you know, I think they got what they need to see uh, from in terms of like, okay, we know what to do with Embiid. Now it's up to them to maintain that level of expert, uh, you know, intensity play defense and try to take home court advantage back. If you want to get one of these games, obviously Philadelphia, you do not want to go back home three, one down three, one, and you want to see if you can take control of the series, go up 2-1. So big game tomorrow for both teams, I think, um, but especially for the Celtics. With Missoula, I mean, you know, I, I think Missoula's sense of humor is a little bit of an acquired taste. I
2: actually like it.
1: I think that he has this serious side because I think that's he, the, the deadpan sense of humor, the mm-hmm. real, you like know. Like the with, office. Yeah, like he just, he's one of those guys who doesn't smile but he doesn't take himself too seriously. I've had conversations off the, off the record with him and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Joe knows who he is. He doesn't try to, you know, I, I think, but does he snap at us? Yes. Is he, does he have a little bit of attitude? Yes. Uh, was he, did he read, you know, and I'm not going to pat my, toot my own horn, but I'm sure I'm not, gonna, oh no, I'm, sure I'm not Do the it. only one that wrote that he got outcoached in game one. those on yes. defense, not adjusting, now you know I didn't say it was his fault they committed sixteen turnovers and yeah. he didn't tell Malcolm Brogdon to throw the ball to Tyrese Maxey instead of shooting the damn ball. And, yeah. You know he you know he didn't he didn't do any of that. But uh, I think he understood he he has read that he has been out coached in this playoffs, which I think he has. And I think he's like, well, look at what I did. Look at look. Hey, we won by thirty four points. So I think he deserves credit. Adjusting, making it hard on Harden defensively, having Jalen Brown, uh, you know, cover him full court, um, you know, just having them put more effort. But I didn't see more execution. I just saw better effort. I just saw like, you know, those guys are like, we're not, we're not being denied tonight. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not taking this again. So yeah. I don't have a problem with, with Missoula, Joe Missoula. Yeah. Like Joe, um, I'm happy that, for his success because he's such a young man, a black sure. coach. In the NBA at age 34, and you know, we know guys like Stephen Silas, and guys that, that didn't make it because they got a bunch of knuckleheads and bad situations. And this is a man who's inherited a good situation. is trying the best he can. He's going to get he's going to get better and grow. This is his first playoffs, but he's going against a bunch of old foxes: Quinn Snyder, Doc Rivers, and who knows next if they advance, Thibodeau or Eric Spolstra, I and mean, then it could be Steve Kerr. The only coach that don't have as much experience, or equal experience as he does, is Darvin Ham. Who?
0: Darvin Ham? Oh.
1: Sherrod's buddy from the Detroit days. If you oh didn't My guy. Know. <laughs> anyway. So I think, you know, I think it, this is a learning experience, too, for Missoula. He's got to understand that, that hey, sometimes he's got to toy with, with things, even though, The Celtics come off a great game. Does he make more adjustments and throw another wrinkle into the defense or the offensive sets to make Philly be like, Oh, wait, wait a minute. You know, or does he do the same thing? That's the, that's the the trick when you win a game like that is now what, what do you, how do you repeat this? So um, I, I, I think, yeah, he had a little attitude. I think he was a little annoyed. That he didn't get credit for the adjustments, and the media didn't ask him, "Hey, coach, can you talk about all the great adjustments you made yeah. for game two to win the game by big points?" Like, you know, I think he expected that, and he was a little annoyed. And I think I don't think he was mad. I think that comes across as being mad. Yeah, and now right. it's getting viral and it's being shown nationally. Like, yeah. oh, what's up with your coach, Gary? Damn, what's up with that coach? Why are he mad? Like, you know, I mean, is mad? so? I find it funny. But I also know that's Joe, and Joe's a serious dude. Mm-hmm. You don't see him smile much. You don't see him, you know, he'll joke with us here and there, mm-hmm. but that's just him. I'm used to it. You know, anything that goes on between me and him, I can take it. Yeah. I've covered the sports for a long time, and I think he knows that those people who can take it, those people who are probably mm-hmm. un- inexperienced, and I don't think they ain't
0: built for this, Gary.
1: Yeah, I don't think he jumps on some of the reporters who might not be as experienced in that type of thing. Uh, and I understand that. I'm, I'm glad he doesn't. So I,
0: I wish he did, but that's just me. I'm, I, I can be petty like that. Here's one thing about Joe, though, oh and, and we can move on after this. I, the thing that Joe did, I thought, in game two that was so obvious was that from a coaching standpoint, he put in greater effort with his players. The way that he was subbing guys in and out, in and out, it wasn't just because Tatum was in foul trouble. It was because there was a conscious effort for him to look for very specific matchups, and he did not hesitate to try and get the guys on the floor who could make that happen and can execute what he was looking for. I thought that, to me, was one of the better games that he has shown growth from one game to the next, and not just figuring out a specific thing that works, but just having a different approach, like the sense of urgency that we always talk about that these guys don't have when they're playing teams that are undermanned. I sometimes think that's a reflection of the coach. I don't think he, like, for example, the game plan in game two, if he would have had that same type of urgency, I think in terms of of his decision-making and being very precise and being very direct and being, you know, just not wasting any time or hesitating, I think you would have seen a different level of effort from the guys. And so Joe, I I think he needs to have a, just, you know, have a, you know, kind of come to Joe moment. And realize that as much as those players are responsible for, for turnovers and things like that, they, in many respects, are a reflection of him from an attitude standpoint. He needs to play. He needs to coach with a little bit more edge. I love what he did in game two. Um, and I and he to me, I think he needs to keep coaching like that because that is the best way to get the best out of his players. And, I, and again, I don't think Philadelphia can make enough adjustments if Joe's approach to game three is similar to the way he approached game two, because the players have shown the ability to respond when he coaches with a little bit more of an edge uh, and, and doesn't coach as if he's up two one or three, one. So Joe, he's part of, I mean, he's part of the process of them getting past the Sixers team and, and building off what they did in game two.
2: Okay. I like those takes. With that being said, we talked a little bit about him. Let's go into a little more depth. The newly crowned league MVP, Joel Embiid, he returned after missing the last two playoff games for Philly, had 15 points in those 27 minutes. What do you think the impact, though, of his knee injury is going to be on this series moving forward? Because it still seems as though he's a day-by-day situation.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if suddenly he is going to bounce back in game three and be this vintage... And B, where he's gonna drop forty and twenty. Like, I watched him work out before the game. His the workout where he was cleared to play, and he was getting tired. Like he was, and it wasn't like it wasn't like Joel was doing suicides and running up and down the floor full speed. He was simply doing his mid, you know, medium like mid-range work, shooting free throws, um, things that were just common on-court work. And he was like, he was winded. Okay. And you don't get that back in a couple of days. Okay. Like, and remember, there's no practice. So Joel's Joel's going to have to get it at shoot around tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's, and who, who knows? Like, he could be privately today in the gym, getting some cardio in and, and building up. We talk about practice. Yeah, we ain't talking about We talk about practice. We ain't talking about no games, Quan. It was
2: a perfect setup. We're talking uh-huh. about
1: Philly. We ain't talking about no game We ain't talking about no game Not, not, a not game. game. Anyway. anyway, before I was rudely interrupted by Makilla by, by Michaela B Jordan, no. uh, <laughs> the uh, only
2: AI I
1: acknowledge. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not our <laughs> so I think that his presence is going to be a factor, obviously a huge factor, but I'm not sure if it's going to take him one or two or three games to get really going. So if on the Celtics, I take advantage of this time and I think they were comfortable. I just saw them in game two comfortable with him on the floor. Like it wasn't like, Oh man, now, now they attacked the rim and he let them know like, Oh, I don't do all that. Don't do don't, go. Don't, don't. He, he was Mutombo junior last night. I mean, five block shots, like, he he put it down, but they attacked the rim. They were aggressive. I don't think they fear him as as much as they probably thought they would. Not fear him, but just kind of be, like, daunted by him. So I think they have to be comfortable with him in terms of, okay, he's going to be there, and they have to make it work. And I, But I do think he'll have an impact. He'll have a better game. You know, he only took nine shots, you know. Doc said that he was kind of distributed, they don't really want him to be a distributor. They want him to take the damn shot. So I'm sure he'll be mad aggressive. He'll try to get going. But remember, the last time he got going, the Sixers, he scored 52 points. He scored half their points, but they won by two points, right? And the Celtics had their chances to win that game. So the more shots he takes, the, less, the fewer threes Harden takes and Maxie takes. So that does affect their offense. You know, they're, they're, they're a good club, but remember, ain't like Joel's going to hit five threes, he might hit one or two. Everything with him is free throws and jumpers. If you don't foul him too much, then I think the Celtics will be fine. Let him, if he if, and, and don't single him like they did in the last game in Philadelphia where he just has, it's like pop a shot because he'll, he's such a good mid-range shooter. Make it difficult on him. Make him chew tough shots. Don't foul him as much. I think the Celtics got a good chance.
0: Listen, Gary, you, you pointed out earlier that the record with in the playoffs with Joel is one and nine. Uh, that, by any metric, is atrocious. And I, I think the elephant in the room when you talk about Boston and Philadelphia that nobody wants to acknowledge is the Sixers match up better with Boston when he's not out there. Hmm. The Sixers are a much more explosive team. One because I think the Celtics, I think just by nature, let's take the foot off the gas a little bit. Two, Philadelphia becomes a much more fast, a faster team. You can get out in transition. And number three, they understand that they have to be more in sync with one another when he's not around. And when those things come into play, they give the Celtics a much, they become a much tougher foe for Boston to get past. But as long as he's out there, that offense is going to slow down at a glacial pace. And for a team like Boston that has such defensive uh, versatility, that's perfect for them because they can double, they can tilt, they can blitz, they can do all those things and still rotate back and get in position where they can at least lightly contest shots if Joel is moving the ball. And that, to me, is why this series, from the beginning, I didn't think would go more than five games if Joel played all five games because as long as he's out there the Celtics are going to be a better defensive team against Philadelphia because the way his game is built, the success that he can bring to the floor, it plays into what the Celtics do best defensively. The Celtics are a much better half-court defensive team than they are in transition. And when you play against Joel, you're going to be, your half-court defense is going to have to be the foundation of what you do at that end of the floor just because of the way he plays. And so that's why, to me, Doc is in a very tough spot because Doc is watching the same film that we are. He's looking at the same videos that we see. And it's pretty clear how they play when Joel is not around versus how they play against Boston when he is around. Now, I I point out Boston, and I keep saying against Boston because I don't think that's the case for every team. Like, I'm not saying Joel is a bad player for Philly and they don't need him. I just think in this particular matchup against this particular team, they're better without Joel than they are with him. Uh, And you you don't have to, you know, believe me, the numbers bear that out. Uh, One in nine. And and keep in mind that the core group that the Celtics have played with during that stretch is relatively the same core group that they're playing with now. So it's not like Boston all of a sudden added, you know, major significant pieces to address their well and they're able to keep it going. They've pretty much been doing it with the same crew. So that to me is why I I think this is going to be very difficult for Doc Rivers to make the kind of adjustments to get this team going because the foundation of what they have done this season is not necessarily going to be the foundation for success against the Celtics. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media,
1: and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
2: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
1: want to do another stomp you out speech. It
2: opened up so many
0: more doors. The show is called The The Deal.
1: Deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: Person you don't want to bet on right now probably is Jason Tatum. Seven points in that last game, his lowest scoring playoff game since 2021.
0: How concerned were the two of you by that performance? I'm good. I'm, and, and here's why. Jason is one of those guys that if he has a really, really bad game, there's a high probability he's going to bounce back with a strong one. And, and and just to you know, kind of back up Gary's point earlier, uh, they're going to need him to be really top five Tatum uh, to close this thing out in five or six games. Uh, I think they can, He doesn't. I don't think they need him to necessarily be great to win this series, but they need him to be great to finish it off in a timely fashion. Because you don't want this team to hang around longer than, than needed. Uh, Tatum just didn't really get into any, any kind of rhythm in, in game two. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with foul trouble. But this is where the Celtics, I think, are a little bit different than Philly. Uh, Tatum can go have the worst game he's had in years, and they can blow you out. I don't think Joel and B can go out there and have a really bad game And Philadelphia beat you badly. James Harden can obviously make some shots, but the Celtics have the defensive versatility to adapt to what Philly is doing if they get it going like that. Whereas Philly, if Tatum doesn't have it going, you got to worry about Malcolm Brogdon. You got to worry about Jalen Brown. You got to worry about Derek White giving you some business. You got to worry about you know rim runs with Rob, and 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 now Brent Williams is back in the mix. And if you leave him in that corner, he's basically a taller version of PJ Tucker. A guy that if you get him the ball, he can knock that shot down. So there are much more issues that Philadelphia would run into if Tatum has a bad game. And if he's having a good game, that's a big problem because Tatum, as we know, when he gets it going, there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, there's a reason why that dude is All-NBA player. There's a reason why he finished fourth in the MVP voting. He is really good. And when he's showing that with some semblance of consistency, it's bad news. Lights out for you to the opponent.
1: Yeah, I'm not as concerned about Jason because, I, I mean, I think he tried to get himself going from the three-point line, and he missed a couple of jumpers, but I also think foul trouble took took him out of his game, so he couldn't be as aggressive. Remember, uh, the four fouls, two of them were offensive, so they were looking to draw offensive fouls. That's what Jason's going to have to be aware of throughout this series His guys like George Yang or other guys, the P.J. Tucker's and those guys trying to draw offensive fouls when he makes those drives to the basket, right? And he's going to have to be careful there that because I think that's what the scouting report, hey, take a charge, he's going to run into you, we need to, you know, impact his game that way. Um, so I, I would expect that Jason's going to have to make an adjustment in terms of his offensive fouls. Be careful when making those drives to the basket, do a little bit more spin as opposed to straight line drives or whatever, um, and and watch things like, you know, your hands, you know, pushing a guy away when you drive, things like that, because they're calling that stuff, you know, he had the two offensive fouls, but he had like a ticky tack foul on hard, not ticky tak where he hit hard in the face coming off a screen. And I think the first foul was like a loose ball foul where he was kind of just scrambling under the basket. So it, you know, it wasn't um it was some 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 cheapies that he got. In terms of the calls, but they were legit, and Jason needs to be aware of that. So I expect him to get going. It's just Jalen's been consistent, Malcolm's been good. And I thought a pleasant surprise was Derek White. Kind of, you know, he had a bad game one. I think he was one for five. He just did not play well in game one. They needed Malcolm, I'm sorry, Derek White to play well. Malcolm, Derek White stepped up as well as Malcolm. You mentioned Grant. You know, so we'll see how we'll see how the adjustments they make. But for Tatum, I think he's going to have to not only be on, it, you know, have uh, the desire, you know, the, the fortitude to score and to make up for game two, but also have his head on a swivel and understand that they're going to try to draw fouls on him. They're going to try to get him out of his game early. He's got to be aware of that.
0: Yeah, they they figured out real quick that we can't guard him. So the best next best thing we do is get him off the floor. So I get it
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Looking forward to the series moving to Philly. What do you two expect out of the Celtics? More than the same. I just think that
0: they're going to continue to build off of what we saw in game two, I think they're going to play with a little bit more uh, of an edge. Uh, Tatum's going to be better, which is going to be great in game three for them because that'll give them a chance to really kind of keep that crowd from not being a factor. Uh, and, and again, I just don't think Joel is going to be able to ramp up his game to the level it needs to be at in order to be impactful. I think you know the fact that he really wasn't nearly as impactful as I thought he could have been in game two early on because he, Doc was right. He was looking to get others involved, but for him, I think he, it's it's a, it's a tough situation. One, Al Warford does not make it easy for him to get himself involved, and two, you know, the Celtics already have a game plan to just mix up their coverages and try to keep him off balance. And so, what ultimately happens with it being, but didn't happen that last time because I thought Celtics play single coverage, but when they're mixing up their defenses, it forces him to do more thinking. And if he's doing more thinking, that means he's not just reacting to what he's saying. And that's what you want. You want him to be a half second or a second slower in terms of making that move or the, or making that, that decision. Because that gives your defense time to position itself because you know exactly where you want to be and what you want to do with him. So I, I look at the Celtics, they will get at least a split. I would not be shocked if they win both games in games.
1: Yeah, I agree with Sherrod in terms of, I think they'll get a split. The question is which game they will win. I think the game three is the most, now the support you know, the fan support or the atmosphere is going to be raucous for game three, but it's going to be, it was going to be raucous anyway, right? It's Friday night. Um, so I think that, you know, hitting them in the mouth and c- continuing the momentum for game two, their best chance is to get game three and then try to get out of with uh, winning both in Philly. But, I at least think they take home court advantage back and turn this into a three game series with two games in Boston. I, that, that's what I think. I think that they know how to play against Philly, you know, and I don't want to say game one was like an uh, aberration or it was just like, you know, forget about that. I think they can take some things from game one and and pay attention to those things, because I, I, I definitely think that they have to be um, aware and cognizant of the other guys besides Embiid, Harden trying to turn back the clock and just guys as we saw in the Atlanta series playing better at home when they got the home cooking. Some of those, you know, the would be Anthony Meltons and the Niangs and Paul Reed's guys, you know, being in a comfortable atmosphere and playing a uh, better ball at home. But if they can combat those two things, play their game, I think they have more talent. I think they have a better depth and a better bench. I, I think they should prevail.
2: Well, we'll see what happens on Cinco de Mayo Game 3 in Philly. Obviously, we're looking forward to it. We'll be back next week with another episode of the A-List Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, FanDuel and Indeed. Make sure you use those promo codes and URLs. For A-Shaw Blakely and Gary Washburn, I'm Kwani Lunas. This is the A-List Podcast. Be back next week.